0: True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Tiso Blackstar Group, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live, and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Tiso Blackstar Group or its affiliates. Welcome to True Crime South Africa. I'm your host, Nicole Engelbrecht. And you're listening to our Spotlight Minisode, in which we discuss cases that are in the news at the moment. To start off with, I'd like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Dr. K. Andley, Ilse Brondani, Benny, Robin Haramsa, Rose Alberts, and Lorraine Kleinhalt. Thank you so much for pledging support on our Patreon page. Your support, along with our other Patreon supporters goes towards increasing our research capabilities and purchasing new equipment. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, I'll be implementing some special Patreon benefits soon. I'll leave a link in our show notes. If you prefer not to use Patreon, we also have a paypal.me link, which I'll also put in the show notes. Support of any kind is always appreciated, whether it's financial, sharing of our episodes, inviting your friends, family members, hairdresser, doctor, pharmacist, dog groomer or postman to listen to the show, or interacting on our social media platforms. Every bit helps, and I'm beyond grateful for everything this community does for this podcast. The following episode may contain sensitive material, including descriptions of violence, sexual assault, or graphic descriptions of injuries to victims. If you feel you may be triggered by such material, please consider this before accessing our content. To access trauma counselling or services, please see the helpline information on our show notes. I'll start with one of the most recent crimes in the news this week. On Tuesday, the 11th of February, 22-year-old Claudine Nice went to work at the Jonkersberg Library in George, where she was one of the librarians. When Claudine didn't return home in the afternoon, her family became worried, and along with neighbours, started looking for her, including searching the library. They were unable to find her and reported her missing. Police launched a search immediately. At ten to seven on Tuesday evening, Claudine's lifeless body was found behind the premises of a local creche. Her hands and feet had been tied with tape, there was tape over her mouth, and there was a cable tie around her neck. Her cell phone and keys to the library were missing. Looking at Google Maps, I don't see a creche specifically, but there are two primary schools, both within 500 meters of the library, and it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that the creche was near the premises of one of those schools. The fact that Claudine had the library keys with her tells me that there's a very good chance she'd locked up and was headed home when she was accosted. The library closes at four. It is on a main road, though, so it's a little surprising that no one saw anything. When I went into the Google Street view of the area, though, there was literally one car on the road, so it's really not a bustling area. Perhaps she knew the perpetrator and willingly went somewhere with him, which was out of sight of the main road, and that's where she was killed. That is all just my speculation, though. On Wednesday morning, police and forensic investigators combed the crime scene for evidence. Shortly afterwards, a tip came in that led police to the house of a local resident. When the man saw police approaching... He fled into the dense bush around his home. Canine units were brought in, but were unable to track the suspect. Police have not yet made his identity public. An autopsy will be conducted on Claudine's body before Friday to determine her manner of death. The young girl had worked at the library for the last three years, and was well known and loved in the community although it would be unfair to assume guilt at this point. I guess it's a good sign that a suspect has been identified so quickly, and the fact that he fled when police approached his home definitely says that he's hiding something criminal. For the family's sake, I hope that there's a swift resolution to this case. One of the most talked about cases that has emerged this week has been the kidnapping of eight-year-old Tasne van Veijk. went missing on Friday the 7th of February, when she went to a shop which is allegedly eight steps from her house in Connaught Crescent, Elsie's River. Tasne made it to the shop, where she was sold an ice lolly, but didn't make it back home. Somewhere in those eight steps back to the safety of her home, she disappeared. Initially, the pink ladies released a standard missing poster, but within hours, that was upgraded to a confirmed kidnapping poster, which was accompanied by a picture of the suspect. Now, this is something we don't see often, so it really stood out for me. Pretty soon after, police released the name of the suspect. He is 54 year old Pangakar Moidian. IOL reports that Moydian is fresh out of prison, and has been living with a neighbour of Tasnay's family for two weeks. At the time of Tasne's disappearance, there was a warrant of arrest out for him, for him having broken his parole conditions. He is also said to have been convicted of murder in 2001. In an article published on the 11th of February, Moidian's brother-in-law, Stanley Adams, said that he came to his house a week before looking for a place to sleep. I don't know whether Stanley's house is the same residence referred to as being Tasne's neighbour, as the timelines don't add up if he's reported to have lived next to Tasne for two weeks. Unfortunately, when cases are as fresh as this, information is very sketchy, and I don't think we can really draw any conclusions from reported timelines at this point. The SAPS, Pink Ladies, local volunteer groups, and local residents have launched an extensive search for Tasne in the days since her disappearance. Several leads have come in, but they have all unfortunately led to nothing at this point. Those leads included sightings of Tasne, one allegedly at a drug house in Paro shortly after her disappearance, and the other of her in a taxi. Stanley Adams said that his brother-in-law did not seem to be mentally settled, but he was also not violent, and he allowed him to stay with him, his son, and five grandchildren for an unspecified period of time. Stanley is cooperating with the police and has told them to search the Paro, Eitzig, and Valhalla Park areas, as all of these are areas that Moydian had mentioned to him. Tasnay was wearing red shorts and a white top on the day of her disappearance. She has a scar on her left hand from an operation and a missing tooth in her top jaw. She has brown eyes and black hair and weighs approximately 20 kilograms. Tasnay's mother, Carmen, says that she's been told that Moidian regularly spoke to her daughter and that he was obsessed with her. Her father says that he feels like his hands are tied. He can't even go out at night to search for her because gang violence makes their neighborhood too dangerous. The next piece of information I'm going to give you has only been published by one publication and is allegedly information from a statement made by Moydian's adult daughter. She has said that her father is a very sick man and that it is imperative for Tasne's safety that she be found quickly his daughter went on to allege that her father was previously convicted of murdering his two-year-old son. In another article by the same publication, it was alleged that Moidian was actually found guilty of culpable homicide, which is significantly different from murder and would carry a lighter sentence. This publication says that he's been in and out of jail since 1981 and the culpable homicide charge produced a 16-month sentence. I cannot find much information about this incident, but it seems that the child's death was as a result of neglect. Again, in conflict with what I found in other publications, this article says that he was released on parole in 2016, but other sources say he was, quote, fresh out of prison, end quote. I will say that this publication does refer to having taken information from records, but they don't specify what those records are. Shockingly, his daughter went on to say that when her father had visited her in Elsie's River in December, he had tried to kidnap her 11-year-old son. Luckily, she was able to stop him. She says that her mother had always told her that her father is a sick person and that she must never allow him around her children. She went on to accuse her father of having raped a relative in Cape Town, saying that the woman had recently given birth to his child as a result of the rape. Again, while I'm sure his daughter is telling the truth, this information is coming through one publication and hasn't been verified. Another really weird thing in this case is that this man's name has been reported in many different ways and with many different spellings. Honestly, when I first saw his name, I thought it was an alias. This doesn't seem to be the case, but most publications report most publications report his first name as Pangakar and his surname as Moidian, but his daughter goes by the surname Pangakar so that confuses things a little more. What is very clear, though, is that he is a very dangerous man, and he has an eight-year-old girl with him who needs to get home. I'll keep an eye on this case, and I hope I'll be reporting the great news of Tasne's safe return in our next minisode, and maybe a lot of the speculation can be cleared up then. Anyone with information about Tasne's whereabouts can report to Sergeant Dale Franks of Delft FCS whose phone number is zero eight two three three four eight double seven two. Reports can also be made to CrimeStop at zero eight six hundred one O Triple one. That's zero eight six hundred one zero triple one. Or you can SMS Crime Line at three double two double one. Another very strange and tragic case that's recently made headlines is the murder of Peter Maritzburg businesswoman and socialite, Kavitha Nurperth. 41-year-old Kavitha was well-known and well-loved in Peter Maritzburg. She ran a few different businesses and hit the headlines in 2017 when she threw her four-year-old daughter a 100,000-rand carnival-themed birthday party. Kavitha was found deceased on the 20th of January. She was discovered at half past seven in the evening in her vehicle at Alexander Park. She had been strangled with a cell phone charging cable. Kavitha had also been involved in a two-year court battle in which she brought charges of harassment against a former friend. She had recently won that court case and been granted a protection order. A quick arrest was made in this case, with 37-year-old Simpiwe Mueli being arrested. Kavitha's family, however, were surprised by the arrest. They claimed that they were not advised of it by the police, and heard about it on social media. They also don't recognize the man in question, and they had believed that Kavitha must have been killed by someone she knew, as the person was inside her vehicle. Friends and family of the victim are now wondering whether the murder was a paid hit. After news of Kavitha's murder hit the headlines, a man came forward to say that he had seen Kavitha in the local police station on the morning of her murder. He said that she seemed very upset and was talking to a police officer and then asked to see a female police officer as she had something she wanted to show her so Kavitha was afraid for her life on the morning that she was murdered. She spent many years trying to get someone to stop harassing her, and when she eventually won that case, she was murdered shortly after. If the murder was a hit, then Simpiwe Mueli is the world's worst prepared hitman, because he apparently didn't bring a weapon with him if he had to strangle Kavitha with a cell phone charger. In South Africa, to be fair, we have professional hitmen, and then we have people who are willing to kill for money, and those are two very different things. Due to the public profile of the victim, several theories have developed in public opinion, including that Kavitha set up her own murder because she was financially struggling and wanted her children to have the life insurance. There is, of course, absolutely no proof of that at this point. Another theory is that someone completely unrelated to the harassment cases used those cases as a diversion to have her murdered so that people automatically assumed it had something to do with the harassment incidents. Kavitha leaves behind two adult children of 22 and 19 and her 7-year-old daughter. Simpiwe Mweli has yet to plead, and I'll follow the case as closely as I can to bring you updates. Willem Breitenbach, aka Jimmy, from Dion Wiggott's podcast, My Only Story, which detailed sexual abuse allegations against the former journalist and teacher, has had an additional four charges added to his charge sheet. He was arrested in December after survivor Dion Wiggett used the podcast as a platform to share about the sexual assaults he had suffered at Breitenbach's hands as a teenager. He initially did not name Breitenbach, but despite that, after the release of the first episode, Breitenbach left his partner, shut down his business, sold his property in Cape Town, destroyed his phone, and then fled to his mother's home near Mossel Bay where he attempted to commit suicide, all before his name had even been uttered. Dion's Courageous podcast encouraged many more men to come forward and admits that they too had been abused, assaulted, or raped by Breitenbach between the 1980s and 2019. The men had either been teenagers or very young adults at the time, and were in a range of situations, from attending schools where Breitenbach worked, to working in the same office as him when he was in the media industry. Breitenbach was released on 50,000 Rand bail. He faces a total of six charges, but 41 men have come forward to allege abuse by him. He will appear in court on the 30th of March for further proceedings. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of our mini-sode for this week. If you enjoyed this mini-sode, please subscribe to us on the app you're using to listen right now. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I'll be back next Friday with a full episode and the case I'm covering is one that many of you have been requesting for quite a while. Until then, thank you for your support. And I'll chat to you soon.